Hey everybody, it's Ron from the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast Network, here to talk to you today about SpinWiz Comics. SpinWizComics.com is an indie comics discovery platform. It's designed to help comic book readers find new content, with over 60 publishers and over 400 different comic titles to choose from, and growing every week. Most of the content right now is free to read, but there are options available to purchase PDFs and support creators you read the most. And right now, as part of the promotion, IB Comics is offering the first four issues of Grace, free to read. And for all you music fans out there, the first 28 pages of Legba's Juke Joint, Volume 1. You can read all of these for free at spinwizcomics.com. So if you're a content creator out there, check it out. It's a no-hassle platform whose core goal is to help with awareness, to essentially take your comic book and put it out there for new readers. It's as easy as uploading a couple of PDFs, toss them into a Dropbox or Google, and within a day, your stuff will be online and available for purchase or for new readers to check out. SpinWizComics.com. Check it out today. by a person on the street and wondered what's their deal or, or been curious about what it's like to be a policeman or a musician or, or even just young well, welcome to my life app a podcast that delves into the comedic lives and experience of normal people and says hey tell me about your life okay here we are with another episode of my life as a podcast um, I've got a special guest today, uh, a friend, uh, somebody that I met well about a, nine months ago. Um, just happened to uh, get lucky enough to do a project with her, um, but just a horribly interesting person. Uh, what maybe Brogan? Maybe go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi everyone, my name's Brogan. Um, as you may be able to tell, I'm from Australia. No, not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> not- um, I met Ron doing a production, um, a theater production, which yep. was really super fun. Yeah, uh, but you're not an actor, not no, by trade. I, no, unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, I'm an entomologist working at the University of California in Riverside. That's fantastic. So uh, for those people that are listening that have no clue what that is, describe what an entomologist is. It's So yeah, very. you need to distinguish between an entomologist and an etymologist. Entomology is the cooler one. I study insects, so <laughs> everything with six legs. What is what is not cool about the other one. <laughs> it's just that people get them mixed up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so uh, what, I mean, was it like your lifelong dream as a child to study insects? No, I wa- actually wanted to be an actor and, okay. and a singer and be creative and everything like that. But I'm now thankful that I don't have to be creative for a living because it sounds exhausting. It sometimes is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not very creative, but it is <laughs> exhausting. I mean, you are, I mean, uh, for, uh, obviously you guys don't know Brogan, but Brogan actually is a fantastic uh, banjo player out of nowhere. Well, I think the thing with the banjo is... You not many people know many banjo players, so you can be quite mediocre, and people are like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" So that's why way, I chose it. I feel the same way about jugglers. Like oh, jugglers, yeah. <laughs> it like takes nothing to juggle, but it's like the minute you see somebody throwing three balls in the air, people are like, "Amazing! That is amazing. the most amazing thing yeah. I've ever There's seen." There's a big difference between two balls and three balls. Yeah, this yeah. is true. This Everyone is true. could do two balls. Yeah, oh, I can do one. I am like the master of one ball. <laughs> I juggle one ball like no man. But the minute you add a second one in, I am absolutely terrible. Uh, so, uh, so you're from Australia. I am. Yes. Uh, so you wanted to start out as a entertainer. Why? I mean, how did, how did um, that I think about? it was like, my dad is very working class and said, Brogan, you need to have a realistic career. 
Um, some people wouldn't call entomology a realistic career, but I've done okay so far. But, well, I um, mean, you're you're working at a university. I do. I have a PhD and I'm working at a university. So um, I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. So tell me about... Uh, so tell me about your dad in Australia. Like, how does that, how does your young Brogan, I can uh, only imagine, you know, putting shrimp on the Barbie and No, well, well that's boomerangs. one thing I will correct you there. We don't call them shrimp. We oh, call them prawns. Prawns on the Barbie. I don't, they, I don't know what they were doing in that ad campaign, but yeah. Thank Paul Hogan. That's yeah, all I gotta say. Yeah. Crack it out, Dundee. Um, so I grew up in a farm um, in rural New South Wales, which is on the east coast of Australia. Um, we had a really small cattle farm. So I was, yeah, a farm kid hanging out outside barefoot swimming in a creek, that sort of stuff. And so I think I always had an interest in nature and the outside world and, you know, insects and animals and things like that. My mom was a vet nurse, so I used to go and help out at the vet, the veterinary clinic and those sorts of things. So I never had a burning desire to do entomology, though. I did used to collect grasshoppers when I was in primary school, elementary school. Did you, like, think they were all Jiminy Cricket and you were, like, trying to make uh, wishes? or was No, it-, it was kind of just, like see how many you can catch and then kind of just let them all go. And like, um, we call them slaters, pill bugs. I used to collect those as well. I'm sorry, a what? We call them slaters. A slater. Yeah. And that's like the little roly poly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Those little, yeah, little we call bugs, them slaters. Yeah. yeah. They eat my strawberries every year. It's oh, very frustrating. Oh. I'm a giant nerd. What can I say? Yeah. I love gardening. Like, hey, it's... I'm going to do a gardening podcast next. It'll be fantastic. Awesome. That yeah. Sounds good. So, uh, so young Brogan yeah. uh, with her father, who is a working class man. So what did, he your, is. What did your father do? Uh, he worked in a factory. Okay. He was, you know, had to leave school early um, and kind of he's one of those guys who's very intelligent, would have done really well if he'd gone to university. He could have done anything really. So it was always really cool. I'd come, I'd get home from university in, you know, the vacation time and, and, and teach him what I'd learned. And he was always super into, like, he was always really keen to hear about what I was doing and things like that. So So your dad's got a doctorate of sorts on his own. Almost. Yeah, he does. Yeah. (laughs) He's always, he, he's good at asking interesting questions and, um, He's yeah, he's a very intelligent man. Not not books, book learning, but but life. Uh, that's not like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah, but if you're in Australia, you don't necessarily have the street smarts. Do you have like the outback smarts? The, like, the outback how? smarts, yeah, maybe. All right, fair yeah, enough. Fair you enough. Can call it that. So your dad, uh, he's a so farmer type. So well, not really. Actually, he's he's British um, originally. And so how did? Oh, was he like one of the convicts that got shipped uh, down to Australia? Very funny. No, okay. <laughs> Is that a joke you get a lot from other folks? It it absolutely is. No one can trust me. Yep. Um, (laughs) He was a 10-pound pom. So back in the – it's a somewhat dark days in Australia's history. We had a white Australia policy. So it was a case of let's get British people to move here because they're white essentially. So – but it worked out okay for my dad's family. He was only a little kid uh, um, and his mum and he and his brother came on a a boat – all the way from England to move to Australia, which was, you know, would have seemed like a, a light years away. Right, right. Especially on a boat. That must be like a two week journey like at the bare horrific minimum. Horrific with two little children. Right. Ugh, what a nightmare. So, and then he lived in Sydney. He was a sailor. He still sails. And then for some reason, my parents decided to buy a farm, even though neither of them had ever done any farming in their lives. Like, really? Like, Yeah, they, just, they were just like, oh, let's move to the country. That and seems like a fantastic romantic comedy, like right out of the 1960s. Yeah, so. it does, but it was, you know, stressful for them. <laughs> well, I can only imagine. Yes, but they, What did you guys grow? Uh, we, we had uh, beef cattle. 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had Angus cattle. We only had a um, a few cattle. It was only a kind of hobby farm. So oh, my okay. parents didn't necessarily make their living from the farm. It was so you, of, did you ever slaughter anything growing up? No, we didn't. We got our local butcher to slaughter Fair things. Fair enough. Fair but enough. Then I became a vegetarian as well. So I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> got something to do with it. Anyway, um, but my parents were smart in that they just got cattle. We had some friends who moved from the city to the country at the same time and they got ostriches. So that was... <laughs> And we couldn't understand, even as a child, I couldn't understand, just get cows. Cows are easy. People know how to take, no, ostriches. So I remember once um, they all got eye infections. So we had to go and put sacks with holes in them over the ostriches' heads to put (laughs) eye drops in their eyes. Like, it's insane. They had to, it looked like Jurassic Park. You have to have, like, these huge fences everywhere. Why? Okay, Ugh. so, like, the sacks, did they, could the ostriches see from yeah, the sacks? Yeah, it was kind of like you have a hole just so you can get the eye, right. line it up with the and eye. And they're ornery creatures, too. Oh, they're like, their they're eyes s- are bigger than their brain. They're not smart animals. <laughs> so then I think when ostriches didn't work out, they went goats, they went worms. I Wait, I'm sorry, they had a cats. worm farm? They had a worm a farm. A legit worm farm. A legit worm farm. I mean, they probably were much easier to maintain than the ostriches than the ostriches, <laughs> anything is compared to ostriches. And meanwhile, you're like... Young Brogan's like cows. Just, just get, get cows. cows. What's wrong with cows? Exactly. So, uh, uh, did your dad like? Is that all? Just then he became a farmer, and that was that. Or yeah, he he worked. He's a very salt of the earth man. He worked in a factory doing shift work. Um, so that's kind of he worked really hard to make sure me and my sisters had a really good education and could have all these opportunities. So I'm really thankful to him that he. You know, he worked really hard when we were young and really instilled in us a really good work ethic sure. and a kind of go f- go for your dreams type attitude. Oh, what was his dream? I think his, his dream was maybe to be a sailor. And <laughs> so he still loved to sail around the world, but mom wouldn't have a bar of that. They recently went sailing on Sydney Harbour, which oh, is very fun. cool. Yeah. Fun. Um, and I think maybe being a carpenter or something like that. He's, he's, okay. like, he's, he's like a man of many traits. Over many, but he also used to do community radio. Um, what is like, what do you mean? So like public access, like public access. Okay. Radio. Yeah, yeah. So small town radio where it's just a bunch of, it's like this. Weirdos like, come in and yeah, like, <laughs> talk about stuff. Let's just talk. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, there was quite a schedule. You know, they had a Dutch lady who did a Dutch hour and then, you know, <laughs> at young kids who did like, oh, we do an hour of like death metal type thing. <laughs> Dad used to do um, interviews with local community leaders and those sorts of things. Okay. But, so I, I went in to help him a couple of times. But the funniest part was that Dad had a very particular radio voice. He has a very normal voice. It's slightly British twinged, but he'd get in there and he'd start talking like this. It was his radio voice. <laughs> this is Peter Remos here on Two Bob Radio. And we used to obviously tease him about it mercilessly. But, um, you should adopt a bit of that as well. Oh, uh, well, maybe. maybe no, I no wonder you got interested in theater at a young exactly, age, right? Yeah. Well, my parents actually met in community theater in a musical theater. So I think it's really? in my blood. Doing, well. uh, doing, I can only imagine uh, like. I think it was like MAME or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Because you're 30. So it would have been yeah. like the uh, early 80s. The 80s. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, quite a, f- they're a funny pair. But how interesting. Yeah. They're actually moving to the UK next year as well. So I don't know if I'll have many ties left in Australia. Oh, wow. It Finally selling that farm and. Yeah. No more prawns on the Barbie. It's it, like, well, you know. Yeah, I know, right? My sister already lives in London, so we're already a tri-continental family. 
Must so, make Christmas rough. It's tricky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not least of which because the you know obviously Australia has hot Christmases, right? Um, which hot, cold Christmas is still weird to me. So I mean, you're in California, so your Christmas That's, wasn't that but, cold. But it's cold. Well, we actually went up to Calgary. So oh God, it was then it was freezing. Cold. Yes, yes. Like ten degrees cold. Mm-hmm. Ooh, bad choice. <laughs> well, I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but it was minus twenty three degrees Celsius when we yep. arrived. Now I'm good. Hard pass for me. It was. Very, very cool. I, I, yeah, only also I don't do the metric, uh, only Fahrenheit. Oh, so. man. Sorry. But, you can never I mean, be a scientist, Ron. Yeah, that's <laughs> not in my future. Not in my future. Working on the farm, uh, what takes you, I guess, to school? Like, how do you get, how do you end up at school? Oh, uh, well, time? I really hated my hometown um, because it was full of small minded people. Um, so I knew I wanted to get out. There was a lot of, you know, um, teenage pregnancy and things like that. So, oh, so you lived in like, like oh yeah, the backwoods like, of like Australia Hicksville. there. Well, okay. I had a good group of friends, but generally, yeah, it's a very low socioeconomic area. Okay. And um, I knew I wanted to get out. And or- originally I just said, okay, I just need to do a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science and just um, just see what I like. So originally I did theater and Italian and <laughs> things like that. And <laughs> like, okay, this isn't, I mean, this is fun, but it isn't terribly useful. So not a lot um, of not a lot of Italian theater happening in uh, in Australia. Is no, that... <laughs> not as much as I'd like, unfortunately. But You're then like, I we're did. We're only doing production, uh, committed dollar Committed Arte Arte, that's yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I did Italian because I really like opera, and so I wanted to learn the language of my favorite operas. So it was really fun. I can get behind that. Like yeah, 100%. I had a I had a very interesting. I will tell you this one story. I had a very interesting uh, lecturer. Um, called Franco Leone, so like the most Italian name you could probably get. And he didn't like my name. My name's Brogan. It's an Irish word. It's like as far away from Italian as you can get. Sure. And so he, every time he'd see me walk into class, he'd be go, Brogan, what kind of name is Brogan? What's wrong with Maria? Every single lesson he would say that to me. So you're all, but, we're not Roman Catholic. Yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't like I'm sure like every third woman in the world is named Mary or Maria or something like that. So anyway, so Brogan is kind of an interesting name. Yes. So is it like a family name or no, it's my parents picked it out of the air essentially. And I have suffered for it ever since because, oh. well, it's very close to uh, the Australian word Bogan, which is essentially mean, it essentially means white trash. <laughs> So, yeah. So no wonder that, you wanted to get out of where you exactly. were. Exactly, that's why I wanted to leave Australia as well. Yeah. Was it was it like a, a nickname that you carried? Like going oh yeah, high I was school? teased mercilessly. It's character building, as my father would say. Though so. oh, I, I feel your pain. Like uh, I grew up, uh, I, I'm Ron Ronald, um, and so of course I I grew up being called Ronald McDonald of for course. like the and my poor son. It's like these kids are not original. Four no. years later, you think that they would get new jokes? No, no. And I just told him, I go, I give him every good comeback I had for it. But oh yeah, you know, yeah. I do have one bad thing though, because we, uh, I remember middle school, um, we were doing a science class, and for those that don't know, my name is Ron Milt, and Milt is fish sperm. Oh, uh, and delightful. We did, a, we did a project that was like discover what your first name means. So my first name is Irish for mighty and powerful. You're like, yeah, and that's my, okay. <laughs> my second name was fish sperm, so. <laughs> That carried for a year, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. So, uh, so, anyways, getting back to you. So we 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 get on our adventures. Um, we get a, we we get to college, and you're yep. studying Italian and theater. Yeah. So then I realized that I actually liked science more than I 
thought I would. And I did an entomology course and I loved it. Yeah, I, what did you love about it? Initially? I just, I think invertebrates are a lot more interesting than vertebrates generally. Okay. Is that because, an argument that people have? Is that? Uh, yeah, mammalogists are really into <laughs> vertebrates. So I just think there's so much diversity out there in the insect world, especially like there's, there's some crazy stats like, you know, one in every six creatures on earth is a beetle type thing. Like there's a lot of insects. I can't emphasize this enough. There's a lot of insects out there and they're in pretty much every environment on earth. And I just think they're super interesting. So I think the best part of it for me was um, we did a little course on forensic entomology, which I found really interesting as well, um, which is where you can tell time of death by the um, colonization of a body by insects. Which is super gross. That but is super, super interesting. Gross. I yeah. Mean, and part part of me is like, I should bring you on to do my other podcast, and we could do horror movies one well, day. Yeah, you know, that'd be great. But it's a it's a interesting field of study. So how does one study that? I guess. Is the uh, question. Well, what you need to you need to have a very good understanding of the insects that would uh, colonize a body, depending on where it is found. Okay. Uh, and being able to identify different stages of larvae and different species. So. Um, uh, a fly will come and, for example, a fly will come and lay eggs on a cadaver X number of hours after it has is deceased. And then an entomologist can come along and say, well, the fly would have been here within minutes probably because they're very good at smelling out what they like. So Okay, so what's uh, – I mean, I guess – what would you, is that like a CSI thing? Like, what would you use that for? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're kind of uh, would be consultants in criminal cases. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's kind of supplementary to a lot of other um, time of death kind of um, estimates that can be. That's yeah. so that's Yeah, it's very, it's very, very yeah. cool. In fact, um, one of the most famous entomologists in this country, Mae Berenbaum, she had a character named after her on the X-Files. Okay, well... Bambi Berenbaum, look it up. He's is named after a real entomologist. I will jump right on that yeah. as soon as we get done yeah. with this. And I bet somebody's Googling that right, right now, now while they're yeah. listening to that. Do it. She's not as glamorous as the character. She's like a true scientist and they made the character super sexy. Of course, it's the X-Files, I guess, but... It's television. It's television. I mean, Sex si sells. Scientists <laughs> on TV, they only come in two varieties. Ugh. They come in very gross or high heels and hot glasses. Like, exactly. And, or, and the men are also always like chiseled jaw and they have time apparently to work out which and you know. their lab coats are spotless as well like oh, that your, doesn't happen are your lab coats not spotless i barely wear one but it's certainly not spotless <laughs> do you wear glasses though uh sometimes i wear the safety glasses oh is that all they they never look as good on me as they do on the people on TV. So every time I see safety glasses, I always feel like I'm getting a brochure for something, you know, oh, yeah? or some pill or something, and it's oh. like the testing lab shot. And oh it's yeah, it's always like the, some uh, some young looking person at a blue liquid yeah, in a test tube, holding yeah. up something and like shaking it, you know, really staring intently. With a pipetta. Yes. Yeah. Or and it's like you're like that's just Kool Aid. I know what that is. Yeah, like, exactly. So all right, so you you end up um, you discover science. So uh, yes. do you graduate with your BA with a science? Yeah. So I. I did a dual degree, Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Science, okay. majoring in media studies and in zoology. Media, what, what brought you to media studies? Uh, well, it just seemed like the most useful thing to get out of a BA, to be honest. <laughs> and I started realizing that I liked writing about science. Okay. Um, so I tailored, ended up tailoring my uh, BA to as a, a science writing course. So most of my assignments, I um, got uh, my professors to let me write about science okay. so I could get practice. 
That's pretty smart. Yeah. That's like you're, you're double dipping. Yeah, I know. There. I had was, I was, I was, figured out kind of. I don't know. <laughs> so you, you get done with uh, you get done with your bachelor's. Yes. Um, uh, you discover you love bugs, apparently. Yes. Um, so where does where does life take you from there? Uh, well, I kind of I kind of had a little bit of a break figuring out what I wanted to do. I worked in childcare in between all these things. So I also really love working with children. So, which I, is were another. You like, are you saying that you were a babysitter? Is that. No, I worked. I, I got a certificate sort of diploma in, in children's studies. And so on top of the, on top of every other diploma you have, yeah. you have a certificate in children's studies do, as well. Yes. Where do you find the time to, to gather all these certificates is my real question. Um, and your Look, banjo playing. I'm going to be I'm honest. Saying. I'm going to be honest. Children's studies isn't as hard as <laughs> entomology. Uh, fair so, enough. <laughs> fair enough. But I do love working with kids. So that's that's something else I've tried to incorporate in my work is is getting involved with teaching kids about science. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, what in what ways? Um, I've done you know run workshops and and classes and things like that. Taken my insects into schools and shown kids what it's all about and given them Are, some sort of so, hands-on experience. So you're like the lady that comes on the night show with the tarantula. Yeah, and yeah. And with that Australian accent, it really sells. Yeah, like- I mean sometimes it depends on the age group. Kid, young kids are super into it, but when you get to teenagers, they're not interested in anything. In these no. adventures with children, uh, did you ever have anything go wrong? Like, you ever have like a tarantula escape or something fun like that? Well, no, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I did. Well, sorry, my my entire life is based <laughs> off of Looney Tunes and the Home Alone movies, so yes, it's like I this could, is all I my references. Something like, or like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, exactly. Type thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, did I a, always assume when per, when somebody comes in with the bug, it will escape. It will escape, and, and then hilarity will crawl ensue. Crawl into an orifice. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, that's a. <laughs> I had a I had a bug crawl into my ear when I was a little girl. What? Yeah, a beetle um, crawled in right down to my eardrum and was scratching on my eardrum. I had to go to hospital to get it taken out. And some people say that's why I now kill insects for a living. I don't know, but... <laughs> it's a vendetta with you, right? Maybe, lifelong, yes. Nice, nice. So uh, anything... Oh, so did you ever have your, your escaped tarantula moment or anything like that? Not specifically. I used... I did a, a workshop with some um, elementary school kids and we looked at uh, insect life cycles. So kids love gross things. I found that out very quickly. And we were looking at... Um, the life cycle of the beetle that I um, was studying. And so at the end, I gave them uh, a, a pupa to take home. But what could possibly I go know, wrong? Right? So they're only a little insect, and I thought most of them will probably <laughs> die because they'll forget about it or it'll just sit in their bag. But the beetle also happened to be a pest, like an invasive species. <laughs> so I thought, uh, <laughs> So when people found out I was giving away invasive insects, I was in a little bit of trouble. But I'm like, okay, like another dozen of these isn't going to make much of a difference. But I mean, like, it's like you're Maybe. literally, once again, you are the I'm reason part, that the I'm outbreak. Part of the problem? Yes. yes. <laughs> this is why there are uh, boa constrictors all over Florida now. Yeah, that was me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good. As yeah. long as. So what, what was this invasive speedy, this beetle? Was it this like. This was the small hive beetle okay. I did my PhD on. So I had. And where were you when you were giving? these away um we were at um i was helping run a, a workshop um, but in australia still? in australia oh, yes God, like so it like they don't have enough problems that, that uh, like yeah. they need you i to... mean the, the beetle's already there it's not like oh, but um, not where you're dropping it off at not in these individual homes that's true <laughs> yeah so on top of your uh, your love of children so uh 
did, was there like a break in between graduate school and your, uh, um, your bachelor's or uh, a little bit? And then I, I, in Australia, you don't necessarily have to do a, a master's to get into a PhD program. Oh, okay. So you, you do have to do an honors year. So, which is, it's essentially a 12 month degree. Um, it's another bachelor essentially, but it's like a, a mini PhD. So it's a mini research project. Okay. So it's minimal coursework and mostly you, you write design a series of experiments to be put together in a thesis. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. So I did that on um, a pest of honeybees called the small hive beetle. So I got into beekeeping, which was... I'm sorry, you did what now? I got into beekeeping. Were you like making honey? Like yeah, your own yeah, honey? Yeah, we were. Yeah. So I worked for the Queensland government for a little while as a lab technician and then did my and did my honors project. So I learned how to be a beekeeper, which was super interesting. Beekeepers are a weird bunch of people, but they're very nice. <laughs> uh, please tell me why. Why well, are beekeepers kind of a weird like bunch a, of people? A mix between, you know, farming, salt of the earth people and also insect enthusiasts so they're an interesting bunch what's the uh what's the oddest thing you came across with your group of beekeepers that they all were named phil <laughs> i don't know why but there were just there was a lot of phillips yeah and a lot of knolls i'm sorry knolls yeah what's a, what is knoll is it's that a name a, it's a name like is that an australian name i or? guess <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that was weird. We thought that was weird. So I was, used to go to uh, the local beekeeping um, local beekeeping association. They had meetings and I used to go and I was the youngest person by two generations. <laughs> two generations. Yeah. So, so wait, so you were like 20 at that point yeah. and all the beekeepers were like, well, like 50 my, and My 60? grandparents' age, yeah. <laughs> I, so. I bet you had a lot in common with all the oh, moles yeah, and Oh, yeah, well, I was the young whippersnapper, but... And it it didn't help that that generation tends to be a little old fashioned, so it was a little hard um, getting my point across being a young woman. So a lot of the time, I I'd tell them what my results were or my experiments, and they just would ignore me because I was a young woman. So did it was you, a little frustrating. Did you find you ran into that a lot while you were? Yeah, a up? bit. I think mainly the beekeeping community is a lot of older men who are very, like I said, very salt of the earth, very kind of. Um, have aren't particularly broad-minded, so the fact that there might be a young woman coming and telling them what to do, and I tried not to make it sound like that, but I, I was running experiments, um, so it yeah I got I ran into a little bit of that, not 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 too much, so I, I count myself lucky. All right, so you go from uh, you go from being a beekeeper, yes. Like what comes after being a beekeeper? Well, unfortunately, we weren't allowed to sell the honey, so I wasn't able to go um, go pro, as it were. And did somebody go pro? Is that like... Well, a... yeah, you can make a living out of being a beekeeper. I, I mean, I assume that we all buy yeah. honey. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the main business is, is pollination, as you might be oh, aware. Yeah. Um, beekeepers will truck their bees around the country, here and in Australia, to pollinate um, things like almonds is a big one. So the bee, the honey we were producing um, was belonged to the government, so we weren't allowed to sell it. Uh, but that damn socialist we're, honey. Yeah, <laughs> we were we were allowed to keep it, obviously, and we we're allowed to give it away. Right. Um. So I made mead once, which was pretty cool. I love so, mead. Yeah, mead's fantastic. Right? So I was stockpiling honey for a while. I just have kilos and kilos of it in my cupboard. Did so, you Did you ever have like a moment where you were afraid you were going to get caught with all this like? honey contraband or anything like well, that? Well, yeah, if the government knew I was making alcohol out of it, they probably wouldn't be very happy. But, eh, what are you going to do? So was there ever, did you ever, aside from your, your meetings with the Phils and the Knolls of the mm -hmm. world, was there anything ever crazy that happened in your bee life? 
Uh, well, I got stung a lot, as you can probably imagine. Uh, one time I've been stung a lot on my on my face, which is, I don't know if you've ever been stung by a bee on your face. I've it's only ex- been stung by a bee like once in my oh, entire it's, life. It's awful. It's so painful. I got stung um, on my lip once and of course it swelled up such that my boss said, you know what, Brogan, if you got stung on the other side, you'd actually look quite stunning. Like Angelina Jolie. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> It wasn't worth the pain. So, so that career, that career in acting was just a bee well, sting away from exactly. you. Exactly. I could have just got a sting on each side and, you know, good to go. But. <laughs> so uh, uh, what what happens after beekeeping? So I did my PhD in uh, the same uh, subject matter that I did my honors in, which was the small hive beetle, as I mentioned, which is a pest. It's a minor pest of honeybees. So I was kind of looking at... Um, I was, I was really looking at understanding the biology of this beetle and especially a yeast that lived in its gut. So I was doing a bit of microbiology and mycology, which is the study of fungi, which uh-huh. again, super interesting. Um, underappreciated branch of science, I will say. But not as exciting as like, you know, those damn astronauts, but yes, yeah, I well, agree. You know, there's a lot of fungi out there too. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's everywhere. Um, so I did uh, my PhD, which was three and a half years, which is... Um, a lot shorter than PhDs here. I'm really glad I did it in Australia. PhDs here can last several years because you're doing a lot of coursework as well. In Australia, you're just doing your thesis. So you're just doing your experiments and writing it up. So were you able to just bring your PhD over to the United States with you and yourself? No. So I finished my PhD in Australia and then what I'm doing here is a postdoc. So what happens after a PhD usually is you will, you'll kind of intern in a bunch of labs. So you're doing postdocs, which are usually about two to three years. Um, and you can, you're supposed to, um, do it broadly. So they ex- almost expect you to go around the world and kind of work in an as, in as many labs as you possibly can. So what you're doing is gaining experience, you're publishing papers, and you're building up connections with well-known labs and scientists around the world. Um, maybe that will turn into tenure. You might become a professor somewhere, or it might turn into you going into the government or um, into consultancy or something like that. So I'm still at the stage where I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of my first postdoc. Some people do three, four, five postdocs. And how old are you? I'm nearly 31. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. you're still early in all this. You're yes, not, you're I not am. quite a Noel yet or a Phil. No, I'm, I'm not a Phil yet. No. All right, so, uh, so, uh, basically you, I assume you finish your doctorate. I did. Uh, um, and what, what occurs in Australia once you finish a doctorate? Uh, look, not a lot. It was a really long drawn out process and I didn't even, I haven't even gotten any benefits from having doctor in front of my name. I thought at least I'd get bumped up to first class occasionally in a flight. Nothing. There's no, been nothing. No, no bonuses. Like you don't even get like a discount. I get nothing. Like... Some, some things you sign up for don't even have doctor as an option. It's ridiculous. So you're like, what was the point of, exactly, of messing with all was, those bugs? Exactly. I don't know. Like, what happens? Like, I have no clue. Like, tell yeah, me more. So I just started looking for postdoc opportunities when mm-hmm. I was finishing my PhD, when I knew the end was near, um, because I, I didn't... The thing with um, academia is you kind of have to be in it to win it, so to speak. You need to keep um, present. You need to... You can't go and do something else for a while and then try and come back. Because it doesn't work like that, huh? Yeah, there's, uh, there's students being churned out all the time. You've got to stay on top of things. So... I wanted to get started straight away and I ended up doing that. I officially got my PhD 
And then less than a month later, I was had started this job. So I got a job with Dr. Ring Kade, who is a very famous chemical ecologist at um, the University of California, Riverside. Okay. He's a uh, all kinds of professor of ships and all these fancy things. He's everyone in my field knows who he is. So he's he was the man to to get a job. With. So he's like a rock star. In he anthology. really is. Yeah. He's also very old, which is fine. He's seventy five, which you know he's old enough to be my grandfather. But okay. Um, which is he's old enough to be your great grandfather. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. So it's very interesting because he's he's had such a long career that we read papers that were published, you know, back in the early days. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. And he's like, how? <laughs> what are what are the early days? If <laughs> the you don't early mind. days, like the fifties. You know, he he's had a very long career. He got started very early, so he's just been he's been around for a long time. So he's a font of knowledge. So I'm very lucky to be working with him. So I, um, the thing is, I'm not working with honeybees anymore. I'm, I'm working with mosquitoes. So I've gone from oh, how fun! <laughs> yes, perhaps one of the most beloved insects to one of the most hated insects. So <laughs> at least uh, they don't. I mean, they don't sting your face. They quite don't the sting same. my face, but they do bite. <laughs> I think I'd still prefer mosquito bites to bee stings. Though, so, so wait. So when you say you work with mosquitoes, you let do they get to bite? Because you need blood, obviously. Yeah. So a lot of labs just use. Um, they'll buy in cow blood or other types of, or even artificial blood, mostly cow blood, but I am working in the field of chemical ecology. So what we work on is um, understanding the human host odor cues that that mosquitoes are are keying into. So I want my mosquitoes that I use, we have a a lab colony that we rear, I want them to be really attuned to human odors. So that means I feed them on my leg. So I'm sorry, you do what now? (laughs) I feed them on my own blood. So what I do is just put my leg over a cage and let them bite me through the mesh. I Are you familiar with the Jeff Goldblum movie, The Fly? Have you ever seen that before? Like I know the movie. I haven't seen it. I just, I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't think this ends well for anybody. Yep. So I, and it's, it's interesting. I have, I do work with a mosquito that carries Zika and dengue and yellow fever. Oh, great. Yeah. So don't worry. My mosquitoes don't have any of those things. Okay. Okay. So good. It's okay. Good. Um, but it's it's a bit painful, but you kind of get used to it. I take an antihistamine before I do it, and um, so do you, are are you married or uh, you have a boyfriend? Or? I'm married. Yes. So you're, so how does your husband feel about all the bites you come home with? Well, I think he just, I think he's you know as long as I don't show him, he's fine. Yeah, he doesn't want to see it. He, he doesn't want to hear about do it. You, do you do you? Do you balance it out on both legs? Is it just I do, one yeah. leg? I usually have two cages of breeding mosquitoes going at once. So I have, I'm sorry, you're breeding them as well? Well, yeah. So we, in order to do experiments on them, we have to have a living population of sure, them. Sure, sure. So I need to breed them. I need So um, only female mosquitoes bite. You're probably aware of that. I was not, but I am now. Yes. So the males are pretty much useless. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, um, unless I can... Male bees are pretty much useless. I, I quite like that. Um, <laughs> so... Um, well, the thing is you need to feed, uh, the females for them to produce eggs. So they need the nutrients in blood to be able to produce eggs. So without it, they will feed on sugar, like, um, kind of nectar from flowers and sure, things sure. like that. So we feed them on just sugar water. But then when you want to produce eggs to produce, you know, your next generation, you have to feed them on blood. And what's the, what's the life cycle like of a mosquito? Um, well, this mosquito that I work on is called Aedes aegypti. Um, it was the one that carries Zika and all those other things. Um, it's a few weeks. Um, so you'd feed the females say, and a couple of days later, she's laid eggs. 
the eggs can hatch within a couple of hours. You put them in water to hatch them. Mm-hmm. And then, as you may be aware, mosquito larvae are aquatic, so they live in the water. Um, and they'll take about, uh, in good conditions, so in, in pretty warm temperatures, they'll take maybe a week, week and a half to pupate. And then they'll emerge as adult mosquitoes. And then my species takes about three days to become um, to mate and then produce more eggs. So how often are you letting them bite you? Um, usually do it once a fortnight, which is two weeks. Don't, can't, don't you have like a <laughs> don't you have like an intern or like yeah, I know, some right? undergrad I need to have student some that poor come grad in. student? I know. Well, uh, f- maybe I don't know. I feel like because it's my work. I, I should do it. And I was a poor grad I, student. I have once. to tell you, I, I severely disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> I well, think as the, the lab uh, I worked in before this one used to um, give grad students and undergrad students um, vouchers for coming in and feeding the mosquitoes. Um, but we don't have such a scheme here at UCR, unfortunately. I, I, once again, I think that that's you. You could Only do very well for yeah. yourself. Well, if, uh, yes, yeah. Anyway, well, I don't know. The powers that be have decided that. You need to do it yourself. They, so. they don't want you paying poor undergrad students to get exactly. bit. So before I came here, um, I was in a lab in Cairns in Australia, which is in far north Queensland, which uh-huh. is tropical. So it's it's rainforest. And so it's very humid and very hot all the time. So perfect mosquito weather. So I was in a lab of a very another very famous uh, mosquito entomologist, Scott Ritchie, who is a, quite a character. He's, he's American, but he's lived in Australia for a long time. I think he's from Idaho. Or one of those flyover states. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that a faux pas to say that? I, I mean, that's I'll, what I've been told. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't <laughs> refer to them as that because apparently they get angry about apparently that. I don't like that. No, I can't imagine we'll have a ton of people from Idaho listening. listening so I think we'll yeah. be okay. So he's a bit of a character. He, um, to welcome me to his lab, he picked me up from the airport and we went straight to a brewery. So, and he wanted to get to know me over I, a beer. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like you scientists drink a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The main point, don't tell anyone guys, but the main point of going to conferences for scientists is to have a good time, meet up with your friends from all over the world and drink beer mainly. Most, I've discovered that in most professions that when you go out of town, it's really only to drink and hang out with people in your field. Absolutely. And then a little, like this much learning, this much selling, this much whatever, Mm -hmm. but mostly to get drunk. Yeah, it is. And it, it does help because you form friendships. And then later on, when you think about, you know, I might need some collaborators to work on this project. You're like, oh yeah, it was old mate. I had a beer with, he does that sort of work. Um, but you know, entomologists and scientists generally are so into what they do that we end up talking about science when we go for beers. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. We, we get really into it. That's one of the main challenges is you have to be very driven and self-motivated and yeah, you get really sick. I was so sick of my PhD by the end of it. I just wanted to burn it. I didn't want to read it anymore. I wanted to throw it away and they said, do you want to get it? you know, professionally printed and bound. And I said, no, I don't want it anywhere near me. (laughs) (laughs) So you just got rid of it after you finished? Like I published most of it. Sure, sure. Which is what you do. But I certainly don't have a copy of it on my shelf somewhere. Oh, come on. Like that's conversational material uh, right there. No. Would you like to read my dissertation? Exactly. (laughs) There we go. No one ever says yes. (laughs) You should. Here's what you should do. Turn it into a children's book. How amazing would that be? Yeah. I, I mean, it's. 
I've done a few, like I said before, I've done a few things with kids trying to get them interested. It's the grosser the better I found with children. So what I, I did a workshop with some kids once working on my beetles and it was, you know, looking at insect life cycles. So most kids are familiar with the kind of caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly. So I was looking at a beetle life cycle, but my beetles are really, my beetles are really gross. They live in beehives and turn it into slime. So it was perfect for children. Uh, in what way? Well, it, it's really gross. It stinks and it's it's slime. Our if you had to describe slime. the smell, what would you describe um, the smell it's as? like if you had fruit that had gone bad, okay. like rotting, s- sweet, rotting smell. Oh, yeah. that's the worst. It's delightful. It's like yeah. my mulch pile in the backyard. Yes. Yeah. 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 Something go, like that. I go out there from time to time and I just, I'm like, why am I doing this? This is the grossest thing imaginable. <laughs> and then the stuff that grows in it. But you love it, gardening and that's all part of it. So. I, you know what? I mean, yeah. you you know anything about me. I am a snob in all ways. Well, I'm a nerd. Yeah. I'm a nerd that's Ron's a snob. heirloom tomatoes. There we go. I, exactly. Yeah. I have my own. I, we, we, we freeze them over oh, okay. and we can them. Yes. I'm, oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. Gee. Okay. I have some great peaches that'll come in here and yeah. I'll give you some. People are very snobby about honey too, but I was always just like, know, you're too of, busy making me. What you? Well, yeah, exactly. I'm like, let's get it to the next stage, the alcoholic stage. I don't kiss. I don't really like honey that much. There's only so much honey you can eat. And when you're, when you're actually extracting the honey, um, sorry to jump around topics, no, but no. when you're actually extracting the honey, you get a lot on you. So you end up just like licking your fingers or, you know, you eat it as you're extracting it. That and seems the, very hygienic. Oh, yeah, it's great. The thing about honey is that it doesn't go bad or anything like that. So it's fine. Wait, honey doesn't go bad? Honey doesn't go bad. Not what, what happens with the little crystal stuff on top, though? That's just the sugars crystallizing. It's absolutely so you fine. can eat that still absolutely if, yes. if i like reheat it will it be fine or? um generally you're not supposed to say put it in the microwave or something the Why best not? the well it's just <laughs> apparently it ruins the flavor okay uh, right. the best thing to do is just kind of put it in some warm water i'm not a honey snob like my wife is a honey snob uh, okay. i I, yeah. I for me honey is like mm, this tastes like sugar and then uh, i well there are, if you if you tasted really lovely honeys from different floral sources you could probably tell but your average honey you buy you know it's going to be a mixed floral source is going to be fairly basic i mean i've tasted some delicious honeys in my time um one particular is is australia has a few species of uh native uh, colonial bees so um about three species that we actually collect honey from and indigenous australians have been doing that for thousands of years and it's a very very interesting flavor these bees are tiny they're like the size of large ants uh and they don't sting but they do bite i've been told oh um, not fun yeah so people keep them um and they actually use them to pollinate macadamias in australia so, really yeah they're actually really useful for macadamias are native to australia and they're they're obviously they've evolved together so they're really great for for pollinating macadamias that it's a really interesting honey it's um it kind of has a and to me, it tastes like kind of candy. It has that kind of artificial sweetener kind of flavor. Really? It's very interesting. And, and what's it? Um, what's it called? This type of honey? Oh, it's just native bee honey. Yeah. So, okay. Um, it's not. There's not a huge, you know, commercial market for it. But if you ever get a chance, I would suggest trying it. A Is lot it of something people, I could buy in the United States? Or? Um, you know what? I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I I, I guess I could. Google it. You can Google it. <laughs> so, um, a lot of people have it on like, you could have it with like a camembert cheese or sure, something sure, like sure. that, like a little sweetness with your cheese or whatever. I so. love it. That's uh, great. Yeah. So, all right. Um, all right. So you get sorry. your doctorate. Sorry. Back to mosquitoes. Yep. 
Um, okay, so you get your doctorate. So what yes. does one do now that you have a PhD in entomology? Like, obviously, you do your research. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that all you do for, like, now until the end of time? Or Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it depends what you personally are, are interested in. Um, like I said, most... Most entomologists uh, will go and do a few postdocs and then perhaps look for somewhere they can get tenure, um, either in a research capacity or a teaching capacity. Um, Or you can, yeah, like I said, go into a government position. Um, The USDA employs a lot of entomologists. And what would you do? I mean, aside from researching, obviously Uh, bees. Mostly it would be research. So if, for example, if there was an um, invasive species you would figure out how to get rid of it. For oh yeah, thing. like the uh, like we have uh, citrus on exactly. my property, and yeah. I have uh, people from the entomology department every year come by, absolutely, and looking at my uh, citrus trees because we have some sort of fly that's like trying to kill my citrus trees. So absolutely, yeah. citrus have a lot of pests. So yes, they do. Yes, they're um, they're a pain in the ass. They are wonderful, well, yes. but they're a bit of a pain in the butt. So so and you know. Um, mosquitoes are expanding. A lot of mosquitoes, disease-carrying mosquitoes, are expanding their range. Um, for example, the mosquito that I work on um, was originally a tropical mosquito, and now it's here in practically the desert. So it's it's even in Coachella Valley, and and it's in the majority of counties in in California. Well, was there now, like a another mosquito that we had before that invasive species came in, or no? You've got a few mosquitoes. Uh, Culex mosquitoes, which are kind of like marsh mosquitoes and those sorts of things, but they they carry um, a couple of different viruses. But the one that most people are concerned about is the one I work on is Aedes aegypti because it um, dengue is a huge problem in a lot of parts of the world, and and Zika obviously the last few years has been a huge problem. Um, you don't have any cases of Zika or dengue here in California yet, though, so. That's good, that's right? That's something to be thankful for. Well, thank for. you, Brogan. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no worries. Like, all your work <laughs> that's, is really that's paying all off. Me. <laughs> so I think the other uh, thing that entomologists might do if they work on mosquitoes or ticks is work in you know, vector-borne diseases and work in epidemiology Okay. as well. So monitoring what um, disease-carrying insects you've got in your region, how you might control them, you know, when you need to let people know to that you need to start protecting yourselves. We've got X and Y. Uh, I was just at a conference um, recently in San Diego, which was um, the Mosquito and Vector Control Association of California. So it was all um, the vector control districts from all over California came together to talk about what they've got in their regions and what they're doing to mitigate it. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. So that's very applied entomology. Um, so that's one end of the spectrum. Then there's very kind of basic science entomology where you're understanding what proteins encode which genes and what those genes do. So it's very molecular. Um, I'm not so much interested in that. I'm more interested in the kind of, um, uh, insect behavior and, and ecology and those sorts so of things. So if you don't mind me asking, like what are, as long as it doesn't spoil anything as far as like, what are you, <laughs> what, like somewhere in the science field, somebody's going to grab this podcast and be like, I'm going to steal her idea. But yep. what is it that, if you don't mind us asking, what are you working on right now? Like what are you trying to prove Yeah, well, we've actually, or? there's actually been um, some interesting stuff's come out of our lab quite recently. One Another postdoc who's uh, unfortunately just left to go to a, a private um, company to work for a private company has discovered a couple of compounds that induce landing in mosquitoes. So most people are aware that mosquitoes are attracted to human skin odors sure. and carbon dioxide that we exhale. Mm-hmm. So, but why, you know, why are some people more attractive than others is like the big question, the whole, and I will say this now, the whole 
blood type thing was debunked. There's nothing to do with blood types. It's the current thinking is that it's got to do with the um, microbiota on your skin. And so the bacteria specifically that are producing different compounds that are attractive to mosquitoes. That's interesting. Cause like yeah. my wife uh, is like, when we go camping, she is like eaten alive. Yeah. And I'll go and I'm like not bit at all. Absolutely. And so we're, like, we're trying to get yeah. to the bottom of why that is. So there's been like several hundred compounds identified from human skin. You may not think you smell, but you smell. Oh, I know Humans, I smell. <laughs> well, <laughs> human skin is stinky and mosquitoes are very good, especially um, anthrophilic mosquitoes. So ones that feed exclusively on humans, like the one I work on and the malaria mosquitoes sure, sure. are very cued into um, human skin produced odors. So what so we're trying to do they're is like yeah. into like, basically like they're like, this is the flavor of human. I enjoy exactly like, yeah. I don't enjoy you stinky Hungarian yeah. humans. I only like Italians. So you know? they've identified a few, um, strains of bacteria that produce odors. Mosquitoes are, um, attracted to like there's one, I just off the top of my head. I, it's a, it's a bacteria that they use to create cheese as well. That stinky cheese sure and so mosquitoes are attracted to the cheese really yes so do they come so, and bite the cheese well you know what i'm not really sure i think <laughs> to to mosquitoes there has to be there's a bunch of cues so there's the carbon dioxide which is kind of more of the long-range cue sure and then there's um visual cues they're they're day biting mosquitoes the ones that i work on so they're attracted to dark shapes so it's the contrast. If if there's a dark shape against a against a lighter background, they're attracted to that, uh, and they're also attracted to the skin odor cues and convection com- currents coming off your warm, moist skin as well. So what we're trying to do is see if we can target what are the actual skin odor cues that mosquitoes are using. They're not using all seven hundred whatever that we've that um have been found to come off human skin they're only going to be using i'm sorry a few. did you say there were 700 odors oh, yeah seven at least 700 800 i've seen some estimates at 800 that's insane compounds that have been you know they'll do an aeration of human skin and they get 800 compounds that's amazing like i said you how would you iso- how would you isolate all of those different compounds well, they use some very fancy equipment uh gas chromatography um which is where anyway where I, it's more chemistry than I know even. <laughs> so it's essentially you're um, separating um, compounds into their into ions and then um, the anyway, I, <laughs> I don't know enough about it to give a really good explanation. Sure, but there's, sure, sure. There's a lot of really cool techniques that especially chemical ecologists use to identify and, and find out exactly what's going on um, you know in human skin and, and, and also working backwards from all right, if we, uh, knock out a particular receptor in a mosquito's brain, what do they then not respond to? Oh, great. So you're creating zombie mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. We well, just, not me specifically, but another lab at UCR does that. Yes. I, I'm just <laughs> saying that like when it all happens, like when when it finally ends because of, uh, you know, the coronavirus or whatever yeah. else kills us, I know who to blame uh, by the zombie mosquitoes. The zombie mosquitoes, <laughs> that's on me. Uh, just me. Yeah. Uh, Brogan Amos uh, sent yeah. all hate mail to. Yep. <laughs> so... What's uh um what's like the goofiest thing that's happened to you at your current lab? Um well, they tease me a lot about being Australian. Um one of my colleagues has a joke f- about me being upside down and I at my first day I said, "Dude, that's not really that funny." But he's been doing it every single day since I've been here. <laughs> so he's got commitment to the joke at the bare Yes, book. and also that I use 
um, the metric system and Celsius like a normal person and like <laughs> scientists use. Welcome to the United States. Where I know, we, but we only are, use we only use I know, but these are scientists. <laughs> so to publish anything in science, you use the metric system and you use Celsius. I remember my first interaction with like real interaction with the metric system was uh, we went on a trip to England. Oh, yeah. And I asked the wife what the speed limit was. And she said 85. And you're like, whoa. I said, this is great. It's like being on the Autobahn until I realized it was like kilometers per mm-hmm. hour, which is much slower than it what is. you think it is. So, yep. yeah. Uh, uh, it's taken me a while to get used to. Until um, I was doing 85 and then, yeah, saw the sign and, and I had to chastise her ah. for going, hey, thank you for trying to get us a speeding ticket in a foreign country in I'm our rental sure car. The, but I'm from America would fly. Uh, no, really. we, we have a saying in our family, which is uh, anytime you make a mistake somewhere where uh, where you're driving, um, you just re- stick your head out the window and just go, I'm not from here. And it like sol- <laughs> solidifies. such the, an American thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, but people, you know what they, they, oh, no problem, sir. Like, and you're like, really? I'm so sorry. I'm not from here. You know? Yeah. As long as you're like, I'm so- not like you're like, hey, you know, suck it. But if you're literally like, I'm so sorry, I, I'm not from here. They immediately yeah. people are like, oh. Well, wherever Awful. you're from, could you not be an idiot here? Thank you. Go back to where you're from yeah, exactly. and be an idiot there. <laughs> exactly. So, but it works out brilliantly. Trust me. I've used it in New York. I've used it in uh, New Orleans. I just used it recently in New Mexico it was in, and Chicago, oh, really? in fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like trying to uh, use the elevator over the weekend in Chicago and the girl was like, you have to use your key card. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not from here. Yeah, I'm not from here. <laughs> and yeah. She's like, I go, I'm not from here. And she goes, oh, well, let me help you. And then I was like, see. We don't have key cards where I'm from. Yeah. I go, I'm not, <laughs> Our elevators, you just press the button and it goes places. Yes. Like who knew? So, um, so yeah. So they make fun of you. Yeah, they just, do. It sounds like your uh, your your specific group of scientists is a lively lot. So. Oh, they're yeah. Well, the other f- interesting thing is we work in the probably the most shabby building on campus. I don't think it's been touched since the 1950s. Really? Yeah, there's still borax dispensers in the bathroom. That's like, brilliant. Before hand soap. <laughs> like it's it's crazy. We have reg- regularly have um, people come and try and repair termite eaten staircases and we've got like machinery and equipment in our in our building but it shakes the whole building it's it's somewhat of a scary place to work really my boss likes it because he says he can put holes in the walls and make equipment and do things like that without anyone caring because i think as soon as he retires they're probably gonna uh, tear it down really <laughs> yeah interesting I would say so. so how much longer do you have on your current uh assignment as it were um another year okay. so i'm halfway through just and about. then what happens when that one's finished look i no idea <laughs> it's a bit scary because i brought my husband here and he's very supportive he's from canada um but he went to australia to see what it was like and and he met you and he met me lucky guy <laughs> and uh, then i dragged him back here but at least his family's happy because he's back in uh, north america so i've got a few ideas um one of the the professor i worked with in Cairns um has recently accepted a position with the world mosquito program um who is uh i think it's a non-for-profit it's one of those worldwide programs that does community outreach and and research and all these things it's sure, a huge sure. organization so they've got an office based in panama city so i was hoping to go bug him for a job that would be amazing Pardon the pun <laughs> i mean south america is a blast yeah so. i mean what an amazing experience yeah so, so do you feel like uh like this is what the rest of your life is going to be. It's like just jumping not. from job to job. <laughs> it's exhausting. I don't, 
I think this country especially is uh, very hard to move to. There's a lot of hoops you have to jump through in terms of visas and then health insurance and, and no one they didn't really do a great job of explaining it to us. So we were kind of on our own because coming from Australia and Canada, you know, you don't have to worry about health insurance and there's just a bunch of other stuff like social security and everything like that, that, and the DMV, like why are the lines so long at the DMV? I don't understand how you manage to do that. Like I, I just don't make an get appointment it. and go. It's not Ugh, like, I, you just accept, like, you take a book and you know, like, hey, I'm going to read a lot of this book today. It's or insane. Now you have your phone. You could just, I'm like, well, I'm going to watch this entire of the, the season. The DMV of- here in Riverside, one of them is like a black spot. There's no internet in there. Like, <laughs> there's not. There's no service. There's not. It's insane. So it's been stressful. As you can imagine, moving across the world is really stressful. We had to sell everything we owned. We've got one small storage unit back in Brisbane where we were living, but we pretty much had to get rid of everything we owned and pack everything into a few suitcases to come here. And then we were living in an Airbnb for the first couple of weeks until we found a house. And so it's it's really stressful. And now we've got to renew our visas. It's just oh, wow. so a lot of life what, admin. What happens with the renewing of the visas? Well, we, have, we can't do it from within the country. So we have to leave the country for up to 10 days. Oh, where are you heading? We're going to go to Canada. We've got a, a, a family wedding to attend anyway. So we thought we'd go up there and... Um, spend some time with Duncan's family, my my husband's family, um, and wait for our passports to be returned to us with our visas in them. Um, but it's not ideal because uh, the middle of summer is is good mosquito weather. So I, I part of my work is also testing um, existing mosquito traps. So I have a greenhouse here at UCR, and I release a bunch of mosquitoes and put a trap in there and see how well the trap works. Nice. So and you can only do that when the weather's warm. So fair enough. I can't really afford to be on holidays in the middle of trapping season. I mean, on the bright side though, it is kind of warm here a lot. It's so true. There's a long season. It's not so a it's short. Okay. It's not like you're in the, the you know like the Northeast or the Midwest where you're like this is we have five weeks to do yeah, this quickly like, now. Yeah. Basically, you're like, I have from April until November. Oh, I have a long, long time. It's yeah. fine. That's, you know, my husband's often said, oh, what about moving to Canada? And I said, there's, there's no mosquitoes. <laughs> I mean, there are mosquitoes, but they're none of the d- disease causing um, ones. So unfortunately, we'll be, if I want to stay with mosquitoes, we'll be limited to, to living and working, you know, near to the tropics. Nice, nice. Which is, which is nothing to be complained about. I mean, that could be fantastic, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Hopefully you end up in the Bahamas, you know? Well, delightful, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, I'm pretty much open to anything. My my boss here seems to be pretty happy with what I've been doing, so hopefully I'll get a good letter of recommendation from him, and I've worked on a few publications, so I'm trying to make sure that, you know, wherever I go next, I can make the most of it. Well, fantastic. Well, Brogan, thanks for coming on. Oh, I, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed getting to sit down and tell us all about it's entomology. It's kind of weird talking about yourself, but entomology is super cool. So that's okay. Well, uh, (laughs) once again, uh, thanks for letting us uh, take a look into your life. uh, And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Cheers. My Life As is recorded at Inland Blue Studios and is a member of the Nerd Life Crisis Network. Contact the show at nerdlifecrisis at gmail.com. Care of My Life As. Subscribe and download and listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcast from. Music for My Life As is composed by Rodrigo Vicente and brought to you by HookSounds.com.
This episode of the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast is brought to you by IB Comics. IB Comics, the home of great creator-driven stories for people of all ages, including Legba's Juke Joint. The first book of a nine-book series is available now and tells the story of American music from the blues to the present. The series examines the values of American society and for what we as people are willing to trade our soul. The book has been called Smart and Clever by Mark Wade of The Flash and Superman and Raw, Honest, and Profoundly Human by Stephen Frank, the creator of Silver and the animator on The Iron Giant. The book is available now at www.ibcomics.com. Ivy Comics, the home of great stories. 